We've been in this series uh, entitled We Are, and our theme for 2012 is We Are, and recognizing uh, who we are and discovering our identity in Christ so that we may know the fullness of what God has called us to be. And so when we look at this notion of we are, we spent time recognizing the fact that we are created in the image of God. If you're here today, you're created in the image of God. Every single one of you, you're created in the image of God uh, with all of the features, all of the things that are unique to you. God created you. Uh, and it, the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, so we said not only are we created, but we are called. We are called. And uh, we talked about last week four dimensions of our calling the first uh, dimension was a calling to an eternal fellowship or a relationship with the divine creator. Um, and the second dimension is a calling to salvation or to receive God's divine grace. The third calling is a calling to holiness or to a specific behavior, which is sanctification. And then the fourth dimension of our calling is a calling to service or a specific vocation. And many of us, when we think about calling, we associate it simply with the fourth dimension, uh, meaning uh, what am I going to do for the Lord? Uh, will I sing for the Lord? Will I play for the Lord? Will I um, preach for the Lord? Will I dance for the Lord? Um, will I do something for the Lord? What is God? called me to do. And what happens is that when we do not understand the priority of our calling, what will end up happening is that our relationship will simply be defined by what we can do. And there will always be a point where what we can do will fail or fall short. Where, where we could play piano and there'll be a time where the songs aren't coming like they used to come. Or where we can sing and our voice is raspy or our voice is hurting. And what will we do at the end of time when all the things that we wrapped our identity in, how I'm valuable to God, come to an end? Will God still say, that's my child, that's my son, and that's my daughter? And the reality is, is that when we look at these four dimensions of our calling, we must reprioritize to understand that our first level of calling is to recognize that we are a people who belong to God. We are a people who belong to God and God has called us to know and to understand that uh, we belong to God. And so by that, what ends up happening is that we can then understand the rest of the levels of our calling in light of that first dimension, meaning what? I used the example last week that if I was a son, I could not simply define my worth as a son by the fact that I graduated from college and high school and now my daddy's proud. And many of us, we wait till some achievement to say, now finally daddy is proud. And some of us take that and import it into our relationship with God and say, oh, when I've done these things, now finally God is proud of me. <coughs> Excuse me. But before you could ever do anything, God already was proud of you and called you by name because he created you and fashioned you in his image. Amen. And what happens is that sin comes in to take us away from the identity that God has given to us and to cause us to walk in a different dimension. And so today I want us to follow, focus in on this second dimension of our calling and to recognize that as believers, the second dimension of our calling from God is to be his children, those whom God has called from darkness into his wonderful light, that we may daily live our lives as a people who have been redeemed. We're called to be his children, those whom he has brought from darkness 
to light. I'd like to share this morning as we look at these scripture called from darkness into the light called from darkness into the light. Uh, let's look here at our first scripture in first Peter chapter number two. First Peter chapter number two and verse number nine. And it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Uh, let's turn to our second scripture in first John chapter number three. Um, just a couple books back there. First and second Peter. Um, and then uh, over to first John. First John chapter three and verse number one. And it reads, how great is the love that the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. First John three and verse number one. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the fact that you have called us to be your children. Lord, those who you've redeemed from darkness into light. Thank you, Lord, that you cared about us and you called us by name. And Lord, not only have you adopted us, oh God, as your children, but Lord, you have saved us from the darkness and the distress of, Lord, the world of sin. Father, thank you that by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, Lord, that you've given us access to eternal life, that we may live eternally with you. Father, I pray as I share this message this morning that you would open our hearts to receive all that you desire to say in and through us. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. We are called from darkness into the light. The call of salvation. Has anyone ever called you by name to warn you of danger? Has anyone called out and said, hey, and they'll say their particular name or you over there. They'll, they'll call out and they'll say there's danger ahead. Uh, one of the interesting phenomenon is that in this day and age of the iPod generation, it has caused people to ignore dangerous situations because they're listening to their music and not paying attention. And not only are they not paying attention, but they cannot hear when someone is calling their name. Uh, as I looked, uh, there's actually new research from the University of Maryland that shows that serious inju injuries to pedestrians listening to headphones have more than tripled in the last six years. And this is a new study that was there. And uh, what they were looking at is that the majority of the victims, now this doesn't say good about men, but the majority of the victims were men under the age of 30 who were injured by accidents as they were listening to their uh, music. And in many instances, they found that drivers haunt to warn or to say, hey, watch out before the crash. 
Now, uh, there's not only bodily injury that comes from listening to headphones, but if any of you have ever listened to headphones at work, you know that there is also dangerous territory when someone listens to headphones at work. Uh, uh, my own research has concluded um, that uh, the danger comes in people who are likely to belt out tunes and they cannot sing a lick. And they're singing along and screaming and it sounds like a cat howling as they're talking. Uh, other personal research of mine has indicated that there has been injuries that have happened from a co-worker who slapped somebody who was incessantly <laughs> tapping their um, pencil on the table to the rhythm of a beat that they could not hear because they were the only ones listening to uh, the music. Finally, um, my own research has concluded that danger has resulted when uh, people who have been listening um, to their music on their iPods or their headphones while at work, uh, danger has come because they've broken out in random dances in their chair uh, while listening to music. Uh, you may know some of these phenomenons and you may have seen or experienced or been the victim uh, of some of these dangerous situations. But you recognize that when we are so consumed with everything that is going on, we do not hear when others are calling or when others are saying things. And it is very easy that in the midst of being busy in things, we can lose sight and lose focus on the fact that someone is trying to get our attention. Someone is trying to get us to hear. Someone is trying to get us to understand. And there is a danger when someone is calling us to warn us, but we do not respond. We mentioned here that the second dimension of our call in our uh, of the call of God in our lives is to recognize that we are called to salvation through Christ Jesus. And I asked the question, what does salvation or redemption mean? Because as we recognize that God is calling us to salvation, why would you say that this aspect of salvation is so important in the lives of all of us? Well, you must recognize that salvation is deliverance or uh, deliverance from harm, ruin or loss. It also means to save someone from error or evil. Uh, uh, when you talk about redemption, it means to gain or regain possession of something or someone in exchange for payment. And salvation, when we talk about it in the concept of our relationship to God, it's rooted in love. That means there is nothing that we can do in and of our own strength. There's not a whole bunch of coins we can add up and finally come to God and say, I finally earned my token to salvation. Salvation is a free gift that is given unto God, but it costs us sacrificing and giving over our whole lives to his ownership and saying, Lord, I trust you. What, what we need to understand is that salvation implies that there's something that we need salvation from. And you saw in the definition, it says deliverance from harm, ruin or loss to save someone from error or evil. And what we need to ask is what was the harm, ruin, error or evil that we were in? And when you ask that question, the Bible uses this analogy throughout the scriptures. It says that we were in darkness. You ever been in darkness? 
You ever been in a place where all the lights go out? I remember back when I was living in Michigan, uh, there was a power outage and it was not only just one city, but one of the major branch lines had taken out much of the upper East Coast going along Michigan all the way up to New York and all the states around there. And so throughout states, it was crazy because I thought I missed the rapture and, you know, something was going on and people had gone. But here it was dark throughout the whole city's traffic lights. You'd come to the traffic lights and there were no traffic lights. You didn't know whether to go or to stop. And it was crazy when the whole place around me was in darkness. But when the Bible uses this notion of darkness, darkness represents death, evil, and destruction. Death, evil, and destruction. I venture to say that many of us have experienced darkness in our lives. We've experienced what it means when not only is it a temporary darkness, but we live in ages and times where darkness was all around us. If I can illustrate this, I have a a pot of soil here and many of you will look at this soil here and you'll say this looks pretty good for planting. There's some good topsoil here. It's nice and rich, has the nutrients of uh, things that we need inside there. And, And I'm using this to represent darkness. And some of you would say, well, hey, if I was planting, this would be a pretty good soil to plant in. But see, what some of you don't realize is that on top is this soil, but if you begin to dig in the soil, you'll begin to see that there's sand all throughout this soil. You'll begin to see that there's rock salt all in this soil. And so what you thought would look really good from the outside, it represents something that if you were to plant something in here, it would never bear or to bring to life. And you know what darkness represents? It represents what some of us do, and we pour out this soil thinking, hey, I got something good here. I can make something happen and something work. But the reality is that in this soil, we said that nothing can grow, nothing can bear fruit. And the Bible declares that just as one man's sin, sin entered the world because through one man, death and sin came to all men. We know this man as Adam. And through Adam, there was this sin. Darkness, evil, destruction. How did we get into this place? You see, darkness represents our rebellion against God. And what it is, it's the inward desire in mankind to be self-sufficient or to exist without the dependence of the eternal God. You know what darkness looks like? It looks like taking this soil and saying, hey, I'm going to plant my life in this soil and I'll find a way to make it work. And many of us, what happens is that when darkness is around us, darkness takes on this place where we convince ourselves that we do not need God. We convince ourselves that we can deal with the soil that we have and be able to make things work. You ever tried to make things work? I remember when I was learning how to cook and I tried to make things work. I didn't know how to obey. Just listen to the instructions that mom gave. Add this, add this and add this. I thought I know how to cook. I'm about to throw it down. You know, so I added my little throw a little extra salt there. Throw this in here and everything else. And when it came out, I took one bite and spit it back out because it was not good. Now, I've since learned how to cook, but uh, recognizing that there was a season where I began to look at things and thought I could do it on my own. 
And what happens is that with darkness, you know what happens in darkness? Is that you start to get yourself adjusted to darkness. And darkness as a heart position, what will end up happening is that oftentimes because people can't see darkness around, uh, uh, whether or not there's darkness on the inside, they will try and hide it and say that darkness doesn't exist. And when we say darkness doesn't exist, we will say, oh, well, there's no evil in this world. There's nothing going on. There's no darkness. But whether you acknowledge that darkness exists or not, we see the effects of darkness all around us. Maybe you say, how, how is that true, Pastor Joseph? Well, what do we see? We see poverty all around. We see sickness and disease prevalent in people. We see families being destroyed in favor of modern families, never regarding the interest of children and culture that has to adjust to these modern families. We see nations in famine throughout Africa and third world countries and throughout the world. We see sexuality being redefined So that kindergarten kids are engaging in sexual activities. And then women in certain countries are traded as sex slaves. Darkness. We see people addicted to destructive vices such as drugs and alcohol. And lest that we think that darkness is just the ills of society that we see around. We see darkness in the fact that there are plenty of people who are lonely. Whether single or married. Wondering, does anybody really love me? We see it in the lack of contentment that many people have. Wondering, will I ever be happy? You see, this darkness represents brokenness. And one of the things that the Lord has been opening my eyes to is to see the brokenness that is existing all around us. And if you open your eyes and really pay attention, though everybody is walking and doing a lot of things, we'll see all around us. There is brokenness all around us. And many of us do not know how to deal with the brokenness. So instead of asking for help in the brokenness, what we continue to do is figure, well, if I just keep on ignoring it or if I just keep on thinking that I can make it happen or make it work, maybe the brokenness will go away. Maybe if I just get down on my knees and start digging deep enough, maybe somehow this soil will be somehow good for me to make a life out of this soil and actually bear fruit in this soil. But if you'll see and recognize that there's not enough soil here for you to ever bear fruit, you're always going to be planting and something is going to be dying. You're always going to be trying to see and you may see a little bit of fruit growing, but then you're wondering how come it's whenever I pour into something, it seems to die away so quickly. And the reality is because you were never called to try and plant your life in the place of darkness. But instead of realizing that you need the light, you stayed here in the place of darkness and said, I'll just make it work. Lack of contentment. We see loneliness. We see poverty. We see uh, famine. We see all of these things. And what happens is that in this place of darkness, people, when the light comes and shines into the world, they were so in love with darkness that they did not want to come into the light. Uh, many of you who may know uh, geography uh, know that Antarctica lives uh, has six months out of the year where it is complete 24 hour light. And on the other six months, it is complete 24 hours of darkness. 
So 24 hours, uh, six months of total light and six months of total darkness. And when they switch over in the winter time from the light to the darkness, uh, people have to adjust to the darkness of the day. And what ends up happening is that at the beginning, it's an abrupt change. But soon after time, they begin to get adjusted to the fact that, <coughs> excuse me, it's dark all around. And they begin to create man-made light in order to adjust to their way of doing things. <coughs> Excuse me. We will adjust to the environment we see around us. And for many of us, it's not that the light does not exist. It's because we refuse to see what God has designed for us when he brings the light into our life and takes us out of darkness into light through Christ. Uh, you know, one of the things is that I hope that, that this con consecration that we participated in has helped to show you areas of your life where there is darkness in there. As those who shared this morning, you recognize that when you're fasting, all the things, all of your appetites begin to creep out and you begin to see, wow, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm not so much in the presence of God as I thought I could be. I, this whole thing of communing with God is not as easy as it was. And uh, one thing for me is that just recognizing that giving up Dunkin' Donuts and all of the good stuff that's there is not as easy as I think it will be. You know the signs that we tell ourselves, oh, I could stop at any time. I don't need that. I, I, if I wanted to, I would quit. It's just because I don't want to. But I'd be able to. But then you get on a consecration and you see how much you're tempted. You see how much your appetite has grown towards certain things. And throughout this consecration, I began to see appetites that were within me. And I said, how did those things get in there? I began to see even my appetite for McDonald's. How did I get this appetite for a two sausage McMuffin and egg special two for three dollars? I mean, how did I get that appetite? That where I started off saying, oh, I'll just have it once a week, then twice a week, three dollars. Hey, I can't beat that. <laughs> For you know it. You're like the woman who's been eating McDonald's chicken nuggets for 17 years. And that's all she's been eating. Collapsed the other day. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you see, we adjust to this environment that is around there. This darkness. But when light creeps in, it helps to expose the darkness that is there. But why does God call us to get out of this darkness? He calls us because the darkness will never produce fruit. God designed you to produce fruit. What does that mean? He designed you to have a fruitful life. It should not be that when we live our lives, we're not bearing fruit, meaning that our families aren't experiencing the blessing of what God has designed for us, that our homes, are, we're not experiencing favor of God in there. And God designed us so that we would experience the fruitfulness of life. But anytime you're in darkness, you will never experience true fruitfulness because you'll only see a small piece of what God has ever designed for you. And many of you have made the trade off and say, I'll just take the small fruit. Don't worry about what God can give to me. Another reason why God calls us to get out of darkness is because darkness will never allow us to see the righteous robe that he wants us to, clo to, to clothe us with. It says there in first Peter, he says that for we are a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And what you must understand is that when you are in darkness, 
You will never see the righteous robe that God desires to clothe you with because you will be stuck on the place of darkness that you have designed. Minister Gene, can you come here and help me out, please? Just come over here and stand. You see, from birth, God gives Minister Gene an identity and calls him a child of God. But you know what sin comes in? Sin comes in and to rip this relationship away from minister Gene. Now, he still has an identity as of the child of God, but he doesn't recognize it because it's not in his forefront to see that he is a child of God. But sin is breaking the relationship and the fellowship that God has designed for him. So what begins to happen is that Minister Gene begins to get down and he begins, you don't have to play in the dirt, but he begins to play in the dirt. If you can just get down, please. And as he's playing in the dirt, he was a good kid. (laughs) As he's playing in the dirt, you know what ends up happening? When you're in darkness for a long time, you know what happens? You forget about your true identity in Christ and you begin to describe your identity based upon the darkness that's in your life. And so what begins to end up, he begins to change his name to whatever vice he's dealing with. Alcohol. I'm an alcoholic. And guess what? Minister Gene stands up and he wears proudly his new identity. I'm an alcoholic. Not recognizing that he's a child of God. It's just that the darkness has obscured his true identity in Christ Jesus. And so what ends up happening is that when you're in darkness for a long time, you begin to write different names. What can you insert in here? Alcoholic, workaholic, someone who's consumed with achievement, someone who never experiences happiness. You're defined by I'm lonely. You're defined by the fact I have no good relationships. You're defined by the fact that my father was not in my life. My mother was not in my life. These people I did not know. I was abandoned. I was adopted. You're defined by some particular situation. And what you have let happen is that you've gotten adjusted to the darkness that's around you. And all you can see is the dark situations that are there, not realizing that your identity is still on you. You just got to discover it in Christ Jesus. But this is what happens. Light shines so that Minister Jean looks down and sees, man, this is not going to bear any fruit. And the light is that of Christ. But then Christ says, I have something for you. And Minister Jean comes over and he sees this pot and he sees that, man, this pot is empty. This is the life you got for me, Lord. It's empty. He begins to then look and think about the fact, hey, Over there, I had a big play area. You want to restrict me to these particular areas? What do you mean I can't have sex before marriage? What do you mean I can't do these things? What do you mean I can't sex and do all these different things? What do you mean that I can't? Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) I don't know why I'm on there, but... (laughs) The shoe fits where? Praise God. (laughs) What do you mean that I'm called to live differently? Lord, aren't you restricting me? Aren't you trying to give me something that doesn't sound, you know, like it'll work the way I want to? 
And so the light comes in and what ends up happening is that men come in and they love darkness rather than the light. So when they see that the light has come in, they still have this identity on. I'm the alcoholic. I'm the person who's never going to do anything right. I'm the one who never has achievement. I'm the workaholic who always gets achievement. And so they see that and then they go back over into their own pit of darkness and say, that's all right. I don't want the light. But then another thing happens is that some of us, what happens is that when we see the light that it comes into our life, we try and we recognize that, man, I'm more than just an alcoholic. I'm more than just someone who's lonely. I'm a child of God. And when we see that identity, what ends up happening is that we say, I'm a child of God, but let me pick up my dirt over here. And Lord, I don't know if you have enough things in store for me, so I'm just going to help you out, Lord. I'm just going to come and bring my darkness and pour it into here. And let's build. How can I build, Lord? And the Lord is saying, no, when I call you out of darkness into light, there is something that I do with you. Because the first step is recognizing that we are a child of God. But there are plenty of people who recognize that they are a child of God, but they never make a decision to start over here in the new pot. And what does starting over here in the new pot mean? It means that we recognize and allow God to say, listen, all that darkness, let it go. You don't need to hold on to that. Your past, your future, your hopes, your dreams, lay it down there because I'm about to build something new in you. And the Lord says, you've got to be able to let that thing go. If you're going to walk in the newness of life that I'm going to bring you to. There are some things that you cannot bring along. There are some people that you cannot bring along if you want to walk into the newness of life. But plenty of you are still sitting there and say, well, I don't know if I want to take my identity as a child of God because, man, I'm going to lose all that dirt. Don't you know what I could do with that dirt? Don't you know if you go to Home Depot, that would have been about three dollars worth of dirt. Don't you know how much that cost me? But then the Lord says, come, I'm taking you out of darkness into light. And as he says, come, I'm taking you out of darkness into light. He says, listen, you see what you see right there is an empty pit. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take even your old experiences and I'm going to use that empty pit. And I am going to pour my soul, my soil into your life so that you'll begin to have a fertile ground by which as the ground is laid for you, it will be a place where I'm going to take the tree of life that I have designed for you and I'm going to plant it in here in the soil, which is the word of God. And as I plant it in there, I'm going to water that soil through the word of God and through people that are going to be around you. And what you're going to begin to see is that which started off by looking like it was just an empty pot. You'll begin to see that God has molded it and shaped it and created it and formed it. And some of you say, man, it's just a tree right there. But God says it will bear fruit because whenever I speak, it will certainly come to pass. And that which I've spoken will certainly come to pass. If you remember, as Jesus was walking along, he spoke to the fig tree because it was not bearing fruit and said, this tree will bear fruit no more. A long time passed and they come back to the tree and the disciples were surprised. Lord, the tree that you cursed, there it is withered. And he said, didn't you believe that when I said it, it would happen? 
And we saw that when he said it, it withered, but the reverse or the corollary is also true. That when God speaks life to the tree, it certainly will bring forth fruit, even when it looks like it's just in seed form. And some of you, you've been wondering, Lord, what are you going to do for me? And not understanding that his call to salvation is a call for you to get out of playing in the darkness. It's a call to say, I'm stop, I'm, I'm dead with all these things that will never bear fruit in my life. I recognize that I have an identity that is bigger than just my problems. And because of that identity, I will bear fruit because I've been planted in the soil that God has nurtured and spent time cultivating so that I will grow. How many of you here want to grow in the Lord? The only way that you're going to grow is not by doing it yourself in darkness. The only way that you're going to grow is by surrendering yourself and say, Lord, I trust you to rebuild and make me new. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And Minister Gene understands that when he recognizes his identity in Christ Jesus and gives it over to God, he has become new in God. Thank you so much for helping me here this morning. You see, this recognition that we did not choose God, but he chose us. He called us by name. He called us his children. He says, you are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. Long before we ever recognized that we needed a father or a mother. Uh, Let's look at this scripture. And and I want you to see this here in, in Colossians chapter number two and verse number 13. You see, before we were ever thinking or deserve thinking how we could earn what we needed, God had already prepared in advance what he had designed for us. It says here in Colossians 2, 13 through 15, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Say that with me again. God made you alive with Christ. How did he do that? He forgave us all our sins. What else? Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, the devil tried to think that Hey, if you just keep your eyes on this dirt pile, that all they will ever know is darkness and they will never able be be ever able to experience the fullness of life. Some of you, the enemy has kept you focused on your little spear right here and been able to say, hey, if you just focus on this, it's the great life. It's the good life. It's the modern life. That's what life is all about. But you know what they're trying to do? is they're trying to keep you focused on darkness. But this is what Jesus did. He said there, go back to verse number 14. He says there is that he canceled the written code with his regulations and that not canceling in, in terms of his existence, but he canceled out the penalties and he did it by paying the price and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. 
Yeah, the song that we sang this morning, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sins upon the cross. You see, we got to see that when Jesus went to the cross, every single sin that we could commit past, present, future. We're nailed to that cross. So when we see the act of adultery, when we see the act of murder, when we see the act of dying and lying and all the things, we have to recognize that as harmful as those things were, they were nailed to the cross. And they were nailed there in order that we might experience the fullness of life that God has for us. If you don't recognize that, you'll always be playing in the dirt. Thinking, well, this is just my lot. This is just what God has designed for me. Darkness is the only thing I know. I'm used to it. It's just going to be another six months of darkness. But God has to come in to say, I've come to set you free. I've come to liberate you so that you experience the fullness of life that he has called you to be. I I love it there. It says, uh, if you go back to verse number 13, it says that God has made you alive with Christ. You see, darkness represents death and destruction. And here Christ is saying, I am not limiting you to death and destruction. I'm calling you to experience life. I I don't know about you, but it's something when someone is uh, defibrillating and uh, when someone's going and and they get the defibrillators out and they begin to charge them up and you see that their body jumps. You say, oh, man, that must hurt. But when you recognize that they have to go through that in order that they might be shocked back to life. I have a, one of my best friends, uh, he actually wears a pace, uh, pacemaker in his heart. And if his heart rate gets too fast, you know what happens? They send, it sends a shock to his heart that knocks him out. Now you might say, okay, well, knocking out, that don't sound good. But it knocks him out so that his heart doesn't keep on racing. And eventually shut down. But when it knocks it out, it begins to send a pulse wave to correct the heart, to get back to the pattern and the rhythm that it's supposed to be beating at. And we have to recognize that God calls us to leave some things because he's trying to shock us to get us alive in Christ Jesus. And he's that shocking is him calling your name and saying, don't go back to the darkness. Come into the light and let me bear fruit. It means When God makes us alive, that our relationship as his children, it means that our legal relationships gets changed. And it says there in John 15 and 15, you can just write it down. But it says a servant does not know his master's business. Those who walk in darkness are slaves and servants. But when we walk in the light, we go from being slaves and servants to being children of God. And when we go from that, we go as children of God to being a royal priesthood. Those who are clothed with God's eternal righteous robes. Pastor Ophelia, come here, please, if you can help me for a moment. You see, you have to recognize that while you were in darkness, when God calls you the child of God, he begins to clothe you and he wears this robe around you so that you understand that you have my name as a child of God. And I have clothed you with my righteous robes. You don't have to wear the old clothes again. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Thank you. And so what we need to see is that we got to let go and hear God's call and obey him. So I want to close on this. How do we daily live out our calling? to be a people who have been redeemed by God. The first thing that we must do 
is that we must declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. God called each and every one of us his children. He called us out of darkness and we have to learn how to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness. Uh, Psalms 107, a familiar psalm. And it says in the ESV, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he has redeemed from trouble. Uh, but if you look in the New Living Translation or here in the NIV, it says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his love endures forever. I'm um, sorry. This is verse number two. Um, this there, let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those who he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. In the New Living Translation, it says, has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Has the Lord done something for you? Has he shined his light into your life? It says, then speak out. Don't just sit around and say, well, I don't know if he's changed me. I don't know if I'm a child of God. It says, speak out. Declare what he has done. Tell people how he has redeemed you. Tell of his wondrous works. Tell of how good he is. See, Nehemiah understands, my son Nehemiah understands the relationship between father and daddy because he knows he's my uh, that he's my son. And he says, daddy, I love you. Daddy, I appreciate you. And even when daddy is a little bit upset with him because he left all his toys out and I tripped over it and fell. Dad, he still says, daddy, I love you. Right, right. (laughs) He comes with his space, but he reaffirms. You're my daddy. I just need to know you love me. If God has redeemed you, if he's taking you out of this place of darkness and into his marvelous light, the first thing you have to do is always declare the praises of him. That wherever you're going, no matter what's going through, declare the fact that the Lord, what the Lord has said, yes, he is doing it in and through my life. And sometimes you're going to have to do it when it seems like you're still back in darkness, but you see and know that God is building something. Some of you may see some of your faults. And some of you during these 21 days, you've seen a whole lot of faults. You've seen areas where you've fallen short. You were sitting there and saying, I'm going to do these things. And right along it, you're sitting there doing things that you know you weren't supposed to be doing. I remember there would be times right at the beginning of my fast where I forget about the fact that I was fasting. And you just learn how you have habits just to go get chips or go get things. And you'll just be reaching into something that's about to go in your mouth. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm supposed to be fasting. <laughs> now, the old man a couple fasts ago was saying, well, it's already out the bag. I got to eat it. But the new man says, that's all right. I'll lay it down. Why is it while we're fasting? That's the only time everyone wants to have a free lunch. Everyone wants to take you out and everybody's celebrating a birthday. I think there's more birthdays in January when they know church people are fasting than any other month. The temptation will always be there. But you've got to learn to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Lord, I thank you. That as you call me out of darkness, I have been named and adopted into your family. And Lord, I have the ability to resist even this temptation. Because salvation is not just a one-time occurrence. It's a state of where we are called to be in relationship with God. 
what I love so much is that when we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness, verse number eight and nine says this, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Verse nine, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. You know what's so awesome when we fast? We discover that things that we said we would never be able to live life without, we can live without them. And we actually survive. I fasted probably maybe 40, 50 times, even more than that, but I fasted a great number of times and I've never once counted someone who's died through the fast. Now, I know on day one, you're probably thinking, man, I'm about to die. I'm about to pass out. And usually for me, it's about day three. Day three, when day three hits, oh my goodness. I mean, just everything is just, I don't know if I can make it. Sometimes on day three, I just want to go inside and sleep. If I could tell a secret, one year I was at work and I just hid underneath the desk because I was just like, this is too unbearable. I hope my old employer doesn't listen to that tape. But I recognize that when I hunger and thirst for him, he will always satisfy me. And so what ends up happening? Well, number one, we declare the praises of him. But how do we daily walk from darkness into light? We walk in this place of salvation by forsaking or putting off everything that hinders us from humbly walking before God. Hebrews 12, just put this scripture up here. I want you to see this pattern. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know what happens when you grow weary and lose heart? You go back to the darkness. You think it was better in the darkness. At least I was able to have my own rules and regulations. But he said, consider him who endured so that you won't lose heart. The second thing, and there's just one more thing, at a practical level, if we're going to walk in the light that Christ has bestowed to us, these four things that we're going to have to learn to do, throw off, run, fix your eyes, and consider. Let's say that together. Throw off, run. Fix your eyes and consider. Now, I I did hand motions to it because I want you to remember these. You you can do them with me. All right, so we're going to throw off. We're going to throw off. Run. 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 Come on, run for us. Come on, run. We're going to run. What are we going to do? We're going to fix our eyes and consider. Why does he say that? He says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know what that means? It means that every once in a while, while God is building over here, you have the temptation to sneak over here as if God doesn't know and say, let me get a little bit of this. (laughs) But this is what he tells you. Throw it off. Whenever you feel things, and during a consecration, it's the best time because you'll discover that there are some things attached to you that you didn't know were attached. 
There's some habits that you've attached and picked up along the way that you didn't know were attached to you. But only when you're consecrating and throwing down and turning over your plate, you recognize, man, there's some things that are on me that are slowing me down. And what does he say to do with it? Throw it off. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Then it says run with perseverance. Some of you don't know how to run. Now, I'll admit, we got some great track stars in here, but there was a scene in my life, I thought running was just dumb. I was like, why, who wants to run around the track just looking at the same thing over and over and over again? Run? But as I began to run and began to enjoy this process of running, I learned that running was teaching me how to build endurance. And some of us, we are so out of shape that when we're trying to run, we got to stop every two seconds. I need breath. Taja was telling us about a a church that she was at before and they had a large sanctuary and there were some people who, you know, wanted to give glory to God. And so they'd hear the word and they want to run across the church and they just get across the front of the aisle of the church. They're supposed to be running around the whole church. They get to the front of the church and they're like, oh, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. All right, run run and get to the rest of the race. (laughs) Some of y'all, y'all so badly out of shape. That you can't run the race that God has given you. Time to get in shape. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. When you have not fixed your eyes on Jesus, you'll fix your eyes on your circumstances. I mean, there was a season in my life where every moment I was checking in, logging into online banking. Do I have enough? Do I have enough? Do I have enough? Do I have enough? And I fixed my eyes on that banking statement and I was never able to see if God wanted to bless me because I was so consumed. Hey, is there going to be enough? Seasons where, hey, some of y'all might know this. You're doing it down to the last penny. It was like, all right, do I got 39 cents? All right, I could buy this piece of gum. <laughs> But he says, fix our eyes on Jesus and then consider him who endured so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Throw off. Come on, let's do it together. Throw off. Run. Fix your eyes and consider. The last step is that we must continue to obey when God calls us. We must continue to obey when God calls us. He doesn't call us to salvation just simply at the point where we make decision. But every day we have to make an active decision. Is Jesus Christ going to be Lord over my life? Salvation is not just a one-time occurrence, although there is a one-time commitment that we make. Salvation is a continual commitment to God, to running in relationship with him and say, Lord, I am walking in your salvation. Deliver me from the effects and the things of sin. And bring me into your presence so that I may know you all the more. Throw off. Run. Fix your eyes and consider. Throw off when you feel doubt. Throw off when you feel like you can't make it. Throw off those old relationships that you're wondering, man, will this happen? Throw off the fact that you said, Lord, you said you were going to give me my husband in 2011. Will it really come to pass? It's 2012. You're late. Throw off. Lord, you said you were going to save my child. They're still doing crazy things. Is it too late? Throw off 
every weight that so easily entangles you. Maybe the weight that so easily entangles you is pleasing your parents. And you've been so consumed with pleasing your parents that you've never really discovered who you are in Christ Jesus. Your identity has been built off of, man, can I finally make them proud of me? But God has said, before you've ever done anything, I always have and always will be proud of you. I'm calling you by name. But don't put on the headphones of life. Tune out. Only to find yourself missing on the fact that God is calling you by name. Mark, there's some things that God has destined and foreordained for you. And these things that the Lord has said. None of your works would ever be able to accomplish what he has said for you. But you've got to understand that before he ever called you to do, and there's some great things that he's called you to do, that the Lord has spoken over your life and he has declared his wondrous works and his wondrous presence that he created and formed and fashioned you in the image of him. And so even right now, as I lay my hands upon you, I pray, Lord, even right now for a renewal of the mind of this, your servant, even right now. Lord, there are some weights, uh, and I'm not talking about vices, but I'm talking about some things, Lord, people that have expressed disappointment, Lord, those who he's been trying to please, those who he felt that he could never please, Lord, these weights that have been entangling this vessel, I pray that, Lord, you'd even release him to walk in the freedom that you have designed for him even right now. Lord, I thank you that his ladder shall be greater. Lord, help him to discover the fullness of his identity in Christ Jesus. God has a destiny for you. God has a plan for you. And before you ever do anything for God, he wants you to know that he's called you by name. He's called you by name and he's called you out of darkness to come into his light. Every head bowed and every eye closed. There's some of you who have been resonating as I've been sharing this morning, and I just feel it impressed upon my heart that there is a, is a burning for some people who have been working to try and build their identity. They've been wondering, maybe if I can just do these things for God, I'll become good, great in God's eyes. Maybe if I can just do these things, my parents will really be proud of me. Maybe if I can do these things, someone will really love me and appreciate who I am. Maybe if I just do these things for my kids, they'll really respect me and treat me as their father and their mother. But some of you have been wrestling with what you can do and never discovered who you are in Christ Jesus. You're called by him. You're created in his image. And he's called you out of darkness into his light. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Joseph, that's me. I recognize that I've let some things happen in my life that I, I, I've, dis, I've, I've determined to make my identity and I've determined to stay in places of darkness when God has been calling me to come out of the darkness and come into his light. And I know that the Lord has things planned for me, but I've been so fixed on everything that's in front of me that I have not been able to walk in the fullness of light that God has designed for me. If that's you and you say, that's that's me, would you pray with me, Pastor Joseph? Just simply slip up your hand. I'm just going to ask you to slip it up and bring it down. But slip up your hand. And as you slip it up, it's a sign saying to God, Lord, I want to walk in the fullness of what you have for me. Some of you, you recognize that 
Maybe you you understand that you're a child of God, but you've been tempted too many times to go back to the old places of darkness because it seemed easier. Because it seemed like I had more options. I had more ways that I could do things on my own. But the Lord is saying, don't go back. I'll transform you and make you new. If that's you, slip up your hand just to God. Say, Lord, that's me. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. Hallelujah. I want to pray for those who lifted up their hands and for this whole congregation, because I believe that as we have gone these 21 days, the Lord has just been speaking to me just about the fact that he is releasing some things in 2012. And there's a, something there's some things that have been poured into. We poured into you. We prayed. But just as the woman who went before the unjust judge and she continued to petition and say, Lord, I need it. I need it. I need it. I need it. The Lord said that he's going to release some of these things that which we have sown in. The Lord is saying it is now harvest time. And I believe that's a word for this congregation, that it's harvest time. But we've got to learn how to trust God. Just simply, if we can just all stand on our feet and just as we lift our hands up unto God, we just want to say, Lord, I surrender everything over to you. Some of you have to let the things of darkness just release them out of your hands and say, Lord, I will not hold on to darkness anymore. I'm not going to hold on to the old things that I used to possess. I'm not going to hold on to the things that were so easy because they were comfortable. But Lord, I will release them into your hands even right now. Don't be afraid just to lift your hands and say, Lord, I surrender everything that I am, all that I hope to be. I lay it before you, oh God. I give it over to you, Lord, this semester, this This might be my senior year, but Lord, I give it over to you, oh God. Lord, the job that I've been praying for, I give it over to you, oh God. Lord, the resources that I've been praying for, I give it over to you, oh God. Lord, the family that I've been asking for, Lord, I give it over to you, God. Lord, would you take me and mold me and shape me and make me new and fresh in you, oh God. Lord, help me to discover who I really am in you. I don't want my identity simply built on what someone else can tell me about me, about what I can do for others, whether I can sing, whether I can play a musical instrument, whether I can clap my hands or dance. I want my definition to be that I am a child of God, one who belongs to you. And Lord, I have been created and formed in your image to glorify your name. Lord, help me to redefine those areas where I've missed the mark. Help me to surrender every part of me. And Lord, every single weight that so easily entangles, help me to throw it off. Help me to run the race with perseverance that has been set before me. Help me to fix my eyes, Lord, on you so that I would not look to the left or to the right and wonder, well, so-and-so's getting ahead, so-and-so's getting ahead, but help me to fix my eyes. And when I want to give up, Lord, let me consider the one who went to the cross and said, I won't give up. Let me consider the one who took the nails in his hand. And as he took each and every nail in his hand, said, I'm doing this for my son and my daughter, whom I love. And there would be people in 2012 who were not here at this experience, but who would understand that because I endured, they now have eternal life. (sighs) Let us consider. Let us walk in obedience and trust you in Jesus name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Let's put our hands together and celebrate God.